As we are in the beginning of a new year, it's our tendency to uh, start looking at our habits and our activities, is it not? Every beginning of the new year, sometimes people, you know, uh, put together some things called resolutions. Anybody do that this year? You got a New Year's resolution, you got a New Year's plan, something that you want to do. We tend to say at the beginning of the new year, hey, I want to realign my diet this year. I'm going to win. I'm going to win in my diet. I want to realign my family time. I just want to have some incredible moments around my family. I want to spend more time with my family and not more time stuck in an office away from my kids, from my spouse. You know, I want to realign my spiritual life. This year, I want it to be a year that is going to be incredible in prayer, incredible in just speaking and sharing my faith. I want to realign my spiritual life. We say these types of statements. I want to realign X, Y, Z because it's a brand new year with a lot of expectation and hope. There's a lot that is before us and we are anticipating something good. And so last week we began uh, exploring a realignment that was initiated by the disciples. The disciples in Luke chapter 11 approached Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Out of all the things and all the years that they spent with Jesus and everything that he was teaching and showing them, they show up and say, Lord, we want to know this one thing. We want you to actually sit down, stop everything, and teach us how to pray. And so we began looking last week at how Jesus offered them a prayer model that was a realignment on prayer, not just a wish list, not just the last resort, but it was a realignment. Let every one of your prayers be something that refocuses you, recenters you to understand that God is your true center, that God is your true source, that God is your true accountability, that He's your true leader. Recenter yourselves. So that you're not going to the left or to the right. So that you're not meeting resistance in your prayers. So that you're gaining a lot of exposure, a lot of gas mileage. You're stretching out the effectiveness of your prayers. Because how many of us have driven a car out of alignment? You know, there's a lot of wear and tear on those tires. Your gas mileage goes down. It becomes a dangerous thing. You take your hands off the wheel and you're not going straight anymore. You could go left or right and it could be a dangerous thing. And so a realignment is very critical. Today, I want us to look at another aspect of prayer. And that's the aspect that through it, yes, this is one we're, con- we're more you know, um, aware of. Through prayer, God allows us to ask him for things. I think we all know this, don't we? Because we approach prayer like this so often. We bypass the model that Jesus had and the centering and the relationship, and we just go to the wish list. But yet, it's an incredible thing whereby God has already embedded in it and allowed and created it so, so that through prayer, we can actually go to him for things. We can go to him for answers. We can go to him for his involvement in our lives. And so I want us to look at a realignment when it comes to this aspect of specific outcomes. How is your track record here? How's your track record with, uh, 
resistance when it comes to what you're praying for in terms of outcomes? Is there any resistance? I want to anchor our time in a scripture, in a passage, in a book of the Bible that is a little bit obscure and we don't read too much because the tone of it is, is pretty dismal at times. And that is a book by the name of Lamentations. I want you to grab your Bible and find Lamentations in the Old Testament. It's right there after the book of Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. Oh man, exciting. A guy who cries a lot and moans a lot is the guy we're going to listen to this morning. Lamentations chapter 3. I feel that if we anchor our time here, it perfectly describes this with supreme accuracy how many of us feel concerning our prayers. I feel like we have been out of alignment, therefore facing a lot of resistance. There's been a lot of wear and tear, and we're not getting a lot of gas mileage out of our prayers. And so Lamentations chapter 3, I want to look at a couple of verses. The writer is discussing his relationship with God and his prayer life, and he makes this statement, starting in verse 8. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. Or perhaps for some of us, if we read the message translation or paraphrase, I mean, we would relate a little better. It says, even when I cry out and plead for help, he locks up my prayers and throws away the key. He sets up blockades with quarried limestone. He's got me concerned. Father, I thank you for your word that you did not just include the incredible high moments of victories, but Lord, you included so many moments of in the valley difficulty, challenges, impossibilities, and impasses. You, Lord God, showed us the rawness and the real turmoil and struggles of men and women that have gone before us. And through it all, you spoke in your incredible truth to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand these nuggets of incredible truth found in your scriptures, that we may, Lord God, connect with you and be utilized by you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt like Jeremiah? Have you ever, if you're just honest with me, have you ever, you know, spent some time in prayer asking God for something? And then you, you, you do all you do. You spend all that time. You expend all those words. You, you, you're passionately giving your all in prayer. And then you feel like God is just not listening. You feel like this man, perhaps he's taking your prayers and tossing them out. He's locking them up and getting rid of the key. Have you ever felt like shaking your fist at God and asking him why he's refused to listen? I know I felt like this at times. There's something that's so desperate, so dire, something that's going on in my life or my family, something that's going on, on and going wrong around me, and I'm asking God, and yet I look, and it seems to be no change, no transition, no light at the end of the tunnel, and it's just... I've discovered that according to the scriptures, 
that this is not something that is just you know, pertinent to us. It's not just something that is our experience, but men and women all throughout the Bible have had moments, have had situations where that is exactly what they felt. Imagine Joseph for years upon years. The Bible tells us 13 years this man has struggled being sold as a slave, being wrongfully accused, being in prison, being forgotten, and so on and so forth. We think of Daniel days upon days in a lion's den with ferocious lions around you. Are they going to change their minds today and devour me? We see this in Abraham years upon years waiting for a change, for a promise of Moses. Years upon years in the desert. I feel like God has called me. God, you're going to use me. And yet, Lord, I'm stuck out here on the backside of a desert 40 years without something in my calling moving forward. And we see this with Hannah. We see this all over. We see this with men and women. And what I've discovered is that according to the scriptures, there are several reasons why our prayers, this element of prayer by which we can come to God and ask him for an outcome and seek him for something that we need, something that we desire, something that our lives are missing, something that his word has promised us. I see that there are some things that happen that lock up our prayers, that come in as blockades, that stand in opposition, that halt us, suppress us, inhibit us from experiencing that which God has deemed possible for us. So I want us to explore some of these reasons, and some of them I know we have direct control over, whereas others... It's part of God's sovereign plan, and we just have to be aware of them, factor them into our lives, and continue, as Jesus taught us, to pray the realigned prayer, focusing on our center, our source, or our accountability in our leader. So this morning, I want us to turn to the first blockade that I find in the scriptures that inhibits our prayers, that blocks our prayers, and that is the blockade of iniquity. The first blockade that will stop us dead in our tracks and will impede God from answering our prayers is the blockade that's revealed time after time after time in the scriptures, and that is the blockade of iniquity. That word you gave me this morning, uh, uh, Rodrigo, that word you gave me, iniquity. It says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, man, read 1 through 15 and you'll blow your mind. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear to death to hear you call. Wait, but yet my answers are not coming. Why? Because the rest of Isaiah 59. God's ears are not plugged. It tells us right there in the beginning. It's not that God has stopped hearing. It's not that all of a sudden we need to turn up the hearing aid. God needs no hearing aid. He is not plugged. He is not stopped. He can hear. He can understand. He can perceive. He sees. There is nothing wrong with God. The problem lies with us. There's a problem at times that comes introduced into our lives. Something has come in and it has split us from God. It has brought a wedge between us and God, and that is our sins. 
Our sins have gotten in the way of us and God. Therefore, God does not hear. Isaiah puts it this way. We're not reading it all because I don't want to make you more depressed. Lamentations did enough. I trust you'll read it later on. Isaiah puts it like this. He says, your hands are drenched in blood. Your fingers are dripping with guilt. Your lips are smeared with lies. Your tongue is swollen for muttering obscenities. Do you see the wall if we were speaking, doing, living, behaving in such a matter? Our own regard for iniquity, our own sin has blocked our prayers. And when I read passages like this, it's like one of those days that I feel like I want to just take a redaction marker and just cross it off. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like the fact that I, my actions, what I have harbored within my heart, that has put a wedge between me and God. That I have become the roadblock myself. I have introduced something that does not allow me to experience what I'm asking for. It puts the spotlight back on me. I do not like the fact that my sin keeps me from having God hear me. And the silence that I'm enduring is entirely my fault. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to experience that. We just want a stretch of road that is clear and free. We want to be able to have what we want when we want it as soon as we ask it. And this is why the Bible is constantly challenging us because of this reality that there is a blockade due to our iniquity. It is constantly asking and demanding and compelling us to live our lives pure. That we should live our lives worthy of the calling that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're to live our lives without spot or wrinkle, avoiding even the appearance of sin. The Bible calls us to live a righteous life, and it's a constant struggle for us to keep our minds stayed on Christ, to take every thought captive, to be able to think about what is pure, noble, true, and right, to be able to live and not live among the scoffers or those who are harboring sin in their hearts. It is hard for us to do this. However, our prayer life depends on it. Turn to your neighbor and say, your prayer life depends on it. I know God responds to the cry of the sinner, though. So it's not like because of the fact that there's sin, God will never hear us because God answered my cry. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit is the one who births within us that regeneration, that sanctification, that initial desire to just come to the Lord and experience him and trust in him in faith. God hears the cries of a sinner. But the challenge here is, if we believe the word, and then it's those of us who have a relationship with him, right? The Lord's prayer, what we talked about last week, if we are going to call him God the Father, we have to be his children. If he is going to be God the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? If we're going to pray that prayer, we're praying out of a context of relationship whereby he's become our father. We've placed trust in him. So this means that the person who has come into relationship with God, those who know his word, those of us who are his children, those of us who have been saved, he does not listen to us if we continue to perpetuate sin. 
He listens to the cry of the sinner, yes. But once we've come into a relationship with him and we have chosen to remain within our iniquities, to remain within our sin, to choose after what the flesh has called us to do and is asking for gratification at every turn and every moment, if we choose to say yes at every moment there, he will not listen to our prayers. It's a higher standard that we have to live because Jesus said this, your regard for iniquity through the prophet Jeremiah, your regard for iniquity through the psalmist, your regard, as Jesus said it, if you have just contemplated this in your mind, you have already committed it. We are called to a higher standard. It didn't say that we committed the sin, but that we regarded it. Just by mulling it over in our heart, we have built walls that stop out and block out our prayers. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge myself this morning. If I am faced with an unanswered prayer, could it be that we need to just make an awareness moment possible? That we need to just become aware that there might be some silence in our circumstance due to some sin inside of our heart. It's not every issue, but I said this is a blockade. The first blockade is iniquity within the heart of man. There's a canopy over our head because maybe the rest of Isaiah 59, 1 through 15, might be an explanation and exposition of what's happening within our hearts. So just catch up on the first 15 verses there, and perhaps if we were to just drop iniquity and say, Lord, I'm going to choose to walk away and repent from this. I don't want this as part of my lifestyle anymore. I don't want this incorporated into my habits. I want to move away from this tendency over here, Lord. And if by doing so, we can repent and ask God for his forgiveness, maybe our prayers would start being answered. The second thing I see throughout the scriptures time and time again in so many different places is that there is a blockade introduced to our prayers inhibiting us from hearing answers from God, and that is the blockade of injury. Somebody say injury. Injury. Where are my married folks real quick? Let me get some interaction here. Can you just raise your hand or can you give me a mighty hallelujah? Let me hear my my married folks. Oh man. Singles, I don't know if you want to sign up for this. My married folks, let me hear a mighty amen. 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 All right, that was a little better. Okay. My married folks, listen to 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands especially, if in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be the weaker than you are, the weaker vessel, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers would not be hindered. Now, before a wall of injuries built in my own house at 17 Beach Street in Marlboro, let me just clarify the word weaker for a second, okay? Uh, Whether the work Athenes has a physical, psychological, or emotional application is debatable, but it's besides the point. Here's the thing that we do know. Christian faith was revolutionary, It was revolutionary in the world that it came. That's why the apostles were known to be men and women who were turning the world upside down. Jesus came and he gave an upside down message. He said, the first shall be the last, the last shall be the first. If you want to gain your life, you must lose it. There is a different 
economy in the kingdom of God. And so what we do know is that in the Christian faith, it not only changed the dynamic of the way men treated women, but it also changed how men viewed women in the kingdom of God. What is incontestable about the reality of this implication is that the plight of a married woman in the ancient world was that they possessed no authority in and of themselves apart from their husband. They had no authority. They had no legal standing. They had no rights, basically. And so in this scenario, the Christian husbands are doubly sensitive to this weakness, to this reality, and consequently, they are to treat them with honor, with respect, with consideration, with admiration. They were to raise them up and give them equal standing. Why? Because we're all leveled at the cross of Jesus. There is no slave. There is no free. There is no woman or man. It is Gentile and Jew. It is all of us equal as at the cross. And so when he is saying weaker vessel, it's not because they're weaker and less than a man. It's because of the context of the culture and what is happening there. All right? Honey, we good? I hope so. All right. So with that context, the bottom line is there should be a unity, a respect, a consideration and honoring within the marital relationship because if it's not there it will inhibit our prayers so some of you guys who are planning on getting married you might say you know what that's an extra hurdle maybe i'm going to stay single i don't know well actually let me tell you this you're not out of the loop because the rest of us jesus says hey there's no room for this it's not just for the married couples this is for every single person he set the law of the kingdom in such a high standard that every single one of us he said when we approach the altar when we come to worship and we get to that space and we realize that there is an injury and a fence there is a wedge there is something a grudge something that has come between you and a neighbor you and a spouse you and a parent you and a co-worker you and your boss you and any other person in this god-given earth that is not right then you need to go and do something about it. Look what the message says in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled to court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that the words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Can somebody say amen? Isn't it interesting that we typically are reminded of our injuries, of our offenses, of the traumas of our relationships when we are coming to a place where we are close to God? When we're about to worship God, it's like when people go to communion, they're about to take communion, and all of a sudden they start remembering all the sins that they did and say, you know what, I'm not going to partake in communion because I'm not worthy. 
It says that, you know what, we should judge ourselves properly. Otherwise, there's many who are sleeping and I will be drinking condemnation onto myself. Hey, hello, the minute we come to worship God and if he puts something on our heart that is something that's maybe in the way of us relating to him in a proper context, that should be the place and space where we say, Lord, help me to reconcile this at this moment. Lord, I ask you, forgive me the iniquity that was in my heart. God, I'm removing that blockade and I need you to cleanse me and wash me, redeem me so that I can be straight and and pure before you. And now God, oh, you're reminding me of a person. Let me just phone them up right now. Let me go change and transform this circumstance and situation. The issue is, brothers and sisters, that many of us might be facing silence in our prayers because we refuse to do the hard and painful work of reconciliation. Newsflash, our earthly relationships can block our heavenly relationship. Our earthly relationships can block our heavenly relationship with God the Father in every one of his incredible blessings. Our unity has more bearing on our ability to communicate with God than we realize. Why did Jesus spend so much time praying for the disciples? And he prayed even for us, all those who are far off God, that they would be of one flesh, that they would be in unity, that they would love one another. The point is that we are supposed to live without injury. So my question to you this morning is, who's got you boxed in? Who's got you boxed in? Is it a neighbor? Is it a colleague? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it a parent? Is it, you know, a child? Who has boxed you in? Who has allowed you to experience a blockade in the stretch of road that is answered prayer? What is boxing you in and keeping you from experiencing God? Is there a reconciliation that is needed? Lord, today reveal to us, help us to understand if we have offended any person, if we have, Lord God, built a wedge between us and our neighbor and our colleague, help us to represent you well and clean out the problem. You can't work things out with God unless you first work out things with each other. We want this vertical relationship. Yet God's going to say, hey, when I was thirsty, did you give me something to drink? When I was hungry, did you give me something to eat? That's what Jesus told us in the Gospels. The third blockade I see throughout the scriptures time and time again is the blockade of incredulity incredulity. Incredulity is basically, however you want to speak it, it's doubt, it's unbelief, it's lack of faith. We see this all throughout the scriptures, but James puts it together in a very nice way. James 1 verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But let him ask with faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is tossed, driven to and from by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The third blockade is the blockade of unbelief, incredulity, of lack of faith. Whatever we're calling it. We see this time and time again when Jesus was going throughout his ministry and he was operating and, and speaking and teaching and cleansing the, the sick and cleansing leopards. And, and, and uh, he was over there raising up the dead and speaking to the lame and they were getting up. He was doing all these incredible things. But yet it tells us that when he went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he was from, Jesus could not work miracles there. Why? Because of the people's incredulity. 
because of the people's lack of belief, because of the people's lack of faith. True faith is what it is because God is who he is. Since faith is always a matter of personal trust in God, for us to doubt, to introduce faithlessness, to introduce incredulity there, is for us to call into question the character of God. Is for us to call into question that he is who he says he is. Are you truly? It's what Satan did in the garden. Did he really say? Is he really this? Will you really be that? It's to call into question the character of God and label him a liar. Incredulity will allow us to go down this road, block our prayers, and keep us guessing, second-guessing God and doubting who he is and what he has said, what his nature is. And yet Jesus said, man, pray so that he is your one true center, your one true source, your one true account. He is at the very core. He is who he is. He is accountable. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. While we were yet faithless, he remained faithful. He is good, yet Incredulity will come in and cause us to question and it will cause us to not receive that which God has in store for us. And I find it interesting here. I just have to say this because sometimes we go the opposite road and we become so hyper-faith. We become so conscious of the fact that we have to believe. Jesus says, if you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to, to be uprooted and cast into the sea and it will. And so we, we, we see these incredible scriptures and how important faith is in our prayers. And then we experience this and we say, you know what, I can't doubt at all if I doubt if I if I just acknowledge my circumstance if I just speak what is happening in my world for a moment that I can bring it before God that I can align other men and women of incredible faith to join me in prayer if I just speak it I'm going to empower that issue more so than the faith that I have in God and therefore I will nullify God's answers and his healing and his direction and his provision in my life. Let me just speak to you for a moment, okay? Because I lived in fear of this for a while myself. I, I, I'm gonna speak it till I make it. I'm gonna fake it till I make it. I'm gonna only speak what I want. I'm not gonna speak it. And yes, the Bible tells us that we are to speak and that there is power in our words, that we are to declare what, it, what isn't as if it were. Absolutely, there is all of that. We have to have faith, no doubt. But you know what? The word for doubt that James uses is the same word that Paul uses in Romans. And when, Romans, when he was talking in Romans about Abraham, he said that Abraham did not waver through unbelief, doubt. He did not waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God. Uh, hello, any Bible scholars here for a second? What happened when the angel of the Lord, the theophany of God, showed up to Abraham and Sarah, and he said to them when they were yet childless that they would have a child? Uh, what, what, what sounds came out of the mouths of, of Sarah and Abraham? Laughter. Huh. 75 years old? My husband is not, he's as good as dead, she said. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. See, what Paul is saying there is not that Abraham never doubted. He never had a moment, a temporary, a lapse in belief. Abraham laughed with Sarah. They realized the reality of their circumstance. We are beyond the age of having kids. 
We have never had kids. We have tried to have kids. It has not happened for us. And yet we're going to be the father and the mother of an incredible nation. We're going to have so many offspring. Hello. Let's, let's just tone it back down and let's bring Abraham off of his pedestal and bring him back to the relatability aspect because the Bible is filled with men and women that are relatable. They're not superheroes. They're incredible men and, and women of example. But you know what? They were sinners saved by God's incredible grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, because that means there is hope for me. Abraham had doubt at one point. Yet, what James, what Paul, what Jesus, what all the incredible men and women of faith, the incredible cloud of witnesses that we have, what it is speaking to us through their lives is the fact that Abraham never entertained any doubts about God's promise over the years of his life. His, he became consistent and he became more and more aware of God's character and nature and promise. And if you look at the consistency and the milestones of his life, if you look at the longevity of his life and his track record with God, his following after the Lord, if you look at all of these things... What it means is that he represented a consistency of spiritual integrity whereby he chose to trust God more than he chose to trust in the doubt of his life. And so if you've had a moment where you've wavered, chuck it up to being human and say, Lord, I faltered, but now help me in my unbelief. And Lord God, I will stand on your grace. I'm looking to you as the one who has not changed and the one who is still faithful and good and just. So Lord, lead me by your hand and let me see something change because I am counting this as another vote in my confidence in you. See, you know what faith is? Faith very simply is consistency. It's consistency, and it's not consistency in a belief towards what is fact. It is what's something that you has not yet happened. It's the evidence of things unseen. The minute something becomes fact, it's no longer in the realm of faith. Why? Because fact is there. You don't have to engage this belief whereby you haven't seen it yet. It's clear before you. And so Abraham Joseph, David, Jesus, so many men and women of character, men and women that we look up to, they did not allow the blockade of incredulity to stay in their path, but yet they chose to have faith. The last one I want to bring before you, and I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that we make in our prayer lives. As we are realigning this year, I want us to understand that the mistake of inactivity, the blockade of inactivity does not mean a lack of response. In other words, all is still. All is quiet. All is seemingly without answer. That does not mean that prayers have gone unanswered. The blockade of inactivity is something that affects every person's prayer life. Silence is part of prayer. It's more a part of prayer than we want it to be. Even praying, the activity of praying, there should be a component and an element of silence on our part so that we can hear God speak to our souls. 
Silence is a part of prayer. There are several reasons why prayer is sometimes walled in silence and seeming inactivity. Number one, God is silent at times because we pray contrary to his will. We ask him for something that is totally against what he wants to do. Therefore, we hear silence. And we think, you know what? God's just not answering. You know what? He's silent because our prayer doesn't demand a response because he has already responded with his word. Hey, God, I want you to answer me what I should do. Hey, uh, check your Bible. I've already talked about that. I have the answer for you. You don't even have to wait for me to speak again. It's right there. Maybe he's silent because the answer has been given and God's just waiting for us to take a step. And as we take that step, he speaks up and says, I'm proud of you. I'm excited. I'll go this next step. God sometimes does not speak to us because of the fact that there's already an answer there. When our kids, come on, think about this. When our kids ask a question, right? And we've already given them an answer. We've already given them the advice. They've asked for our our insight into something. We've given them the advice. We've told them what to do. And yet they have not done it. You know, how often, how excited, how, how anticipate, how are we, you know, engaging them? Are we really fired up and excited to give them another answer, to explain it once again? Hey, I've already told you, right? Before going to step two, uh, go back and revisit step one. Did you do step one yet? No. Okay, well, go to step one. We'll talk after step one, all right? Let's, let's go there. God has already given the answer, and so... That might be one reason why there's silence. But then there's another reason for silence, and that is interference. Sometimes our prayers have some interference happening. We are men and women who are physical, but we're spiritual in nature as well. And there's a spiritual world that's happening around us. And we see this very clearly in the book of Daniel. When Daniel prayed, when he was sent into that lion's den, when he was accused of doing something contrary to the edict of the king, and he was condemned to go into the lion's pit, he prayed to God for deliverance, and he stayed there for 21 days. And when the angel of the Lord finally shows up, he says, the moment your prayers were spoken to God, they were heard. And I was dispatched, the angel of the Lord, to come, yet I was battling with the prince of the air. I was battling with the spiritual forces of this world that impeded me, interfered with me from coming and delivering your answer. But know this, the moment you prayed, your prayers were were heard. See, God has heard every one of our prayers from the moment that he hears them leave our lips. It tells us before the words are on our lips, you have perceived them from afar. God has heard our prayers, yet he's asking us, what are the blockades that are in the way? And if there is an interference, then you know what we need to do? We need to pray harder. We need to pray and ask God with consistency and persistency, Lord, I want you to just step in. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm trusting in you. You have heard me. You know me. You know exactly. Lord, align me to your will. Align me to what you've said in your word. God, I'm reading this book and I'm realizing that you have promised me that I will have a way out, that you have made a way possible. So Jesus, help me to see this, to live this, to move forward in this. And so my encouragement to you is if you've dealt with the blockade of iniquity, You've confessed your sins. You ask God, look, I'm a clean slate. Help me, Lord Jesus, to live right. I'm going to fail again, but God, I help, help me to walk away from this so that I may not be impeded 
in my prayer life. You've looked at your life and you've realized all the injuries and offenses and traumas that maybe you have had or someone else has had with you. And you said, Lord, I've made everything possible so that I can be reconciled to my neighbor, to my friend. God, please do not impede my answers from being realized in my life. Why? Because I have dealt with injury. God, I am not asking out of unbelief. Lord, I know that you are able. God, I trust in your character. I'm dealing with incredulity in my life, and I will trust in you and seek you with all the faith. It's not because of a lack of faith that I will not receive an answer. Recently, uh, this week, the former superintendent of the Assemblies of God, George, Dr. George Wood, he passed away at 80-something years old, battling cancer for four or so months. And he said something that was incredibly, incredibly encouraging in an article. He wrote, if I, I have two options. I have two outcomes. I will either go back to my house in, in Missouri and I will go home to be with my family or I will go home to be with the Lord. But either way, my healing will not, or my lack of healing will not be because of a lack of faith on my part or a lack of faith on the thousands and thousands of men and women who are praying for me. What a statement. Lord, it's not because of a lack of a belief, but Lord, I'm trusting that you have a plan and a purpose in all this. I'm gonna invite the team to come on up. Since silence requires more discernment on our part, Father, if I haven't received an answer, could it be that there's some interference that's happening? And I'm just grateful that an interference does not mean an interception. In the game of football, when there's an interception, that means there's a turnover. And now the other team is able to go and score and move, and move the game along and, and possibly win the game. There is interference, but there is never in our world an interception. Why? Because God is on the throne. He is faithful. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. And so no matter what the enemy tries to interfere, in the moment of our silence, we just will double down even greater. We're going to come together with even more passion and with even more zeal, with even more determination to say, Lord God, do what you will, but your name will be glorified. And I will see you work out all things for my good because your word has promised me. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Larry King shared a story in his book, Powerful Prayers, that goes a little like this. Three farmers were gathering daily during a horrible drought. The men were down on their knees. They were praying that the skies would just open and pour forth rain. The heavens were silent. However, the petitioners became discouraged. These men started, you know, complaining and mumbling. Nonetheless, they continued to pray every single morning. One morning, a stranger asked the men, hey, what are you guys doing? They said, we're praying for rain. The stranger looked at each of them, shook his head. Ah, no, I don't think so. The first farmer says, we're down on our knees. We're pleading for rain. Look around us. See the drought. We haven't had rain in more than a year. The stranger says, their efforts, not going to work. The second farmer says, hey, we need the rain. We aren't asking only for ourselves, but for our families, for our livestock. We need it. The stranger still wasn't impressed. You guys are wasting your time, he says. 
The third farmer in anger turns to the stranger and says, what would you do if you were in our shoes? The stranger says, do you really want to know what I would do? Yes, we really want to know. Just tell us the future of our farmlands, our our livelihood, our lives, our well-being. It's staking on this. We need to know. And so the stranger says, I would have brought an umbrella. You're praying for rain. If I was praying, I would have brought an umbrella. I would have demonstrated my faith. I'm going to need this umbrella by the time I'm done praying. I'm going to need an umbrella. See, I would have brought an umbrella. My question is, what umbrellas are blocking us from experiencing the answers from his heavenly gates? What umbrellas? Could it be the umbrella that is blocking us is an umbrella, not of faith, but an umbrella of sin, an umbrella of injury, an umbrella of lack of faith. And we're holding that thing and it's not allowing us to experience his answers. Could it be that there's something that's just blocked us, walled us in? So right now, I wanna just ask you to just consider something. Every single one of us here We've got something going on in our lives, a situation, a circumstance, a family member, a loved one, an issue that maybe there's, there's an answer to prayer that still has not yet come. I want to invite you this year to just approach that answer, to approach that need, to approach that situation with a greater intensity. Take an introspective look first. Could there be a blockade that you've introduced to the mix? Or could there be a blockade that God has because there's something within his will that's being orchestrated and worked out in that situation? Could it be a time of silence because God is doing something and shaping something? Or there's an answer that he's already given that you just have not unlocked and found yet within his word that you need to be more passionately seeking this year. As we seek God, I invite you to step into prayer in a passionate way. To to find the umbrellas that you need and get rid of the ones that you don't. To approach God with faith this year. With every eye closed, it's an incredible privilege for us to come and ask God and receive from God. But let me tell you, it's not something that we receive if we don't have a relationship with him first. So if there's any person that's here today online, those of you who are in this building and you have not yet come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to know God as the heavenly good Father that he is, you've never had your sins forgiven. You don't know where you will spend eternity when you depart from this world and you step into the eternal life. Will it be with him or will it be forever away from him in torment? If you don't know that answer, step into the incredible gift of relationship with him through his son, Jesus, who left heaven, was a perfect example of what man can do living for God without sin, fully God, fully human, did not sin, but came, humbled himself, died on the cross, paid for our sins, was buried but rose again on the third day. And because of that, has now been elevated and given the place of prominence, 
whereby every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Through him, we are able to live eternally and experience the relationship with God the Father. If you've never entered into a relationship with him, would you just say today that changes? I want to pray over you. Raise your hand real quick and I want to just acknowledge you. Just go ahead and raise your hand and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Wash me, redeem me. If that's you today online, we just want you to click that button. We want to pray with you afterwards. Hallelujah. With every eye closed, let me just pray a blessing over you and we'll, we'll open up our altars for prayer. Father, I thank you for your, for your children here today. Thank you, Lord, that I'm counted among them. Lord, I ask you, invite you to step in, Lord God, with us in our prayer lives. To, Lord God, turn up the heat and turn up, Lord Jesus, the fervor within our lives. God, I ask you that you would invade our times of prayer, that, Lord, it would not be just, Lord, a moment where we're coming and just, Lord God, regurgitating before you wish lists of things, but, God, that we're truly anchoring in who you are, that we are centering ourselves with you as our source, our leader, our accountability, our provider of all good things. God, I ask you, Lord, when we step into that place to, Lord, finally come and, and seek you for an outcome in our lives so that, Lord, we could glorify you, bring you praise, and Lord God, impact our world and, and change, Lord Jesus, the disposition, the character, the legacy, the outcome of those around us, whereby we would introduce the light of the world, the salt of the earth, Lord God, that brings hope and assurance to those around us and into our own lives. God, I pray that we would not be blocked as we prayed that we would not be inhibited and we not be discounted, that, God, your ears would be perked and that you would hear every one of our words and that, God, we would receive the aligned answers to our prayers because, Lord, we have confessed our sins. We have reconciled our grievances. We have, Lord Jesus, incorporated faith and trust inside of our words. And, Father, we are trusting, Lord Jesus, in every one of your answers even when they're in silence. Lord, release for your church that which is missing. God, reconcile marriages here today. Father, bring back children who've walked away from the faith and spouses and loved ones. Father, I pray that you would open up doors of employment, open up doors of opportunity. God, I pray that you would rectify challenges and Lord Jesus, transform natures. Father, I pray that you would give, Lord God, victory over addictions and bondage. God, I pray that you would change outlooks and that you would, Lord God, anchor hope and joy within your children. Father, I cancel out, Lord Jesus, every spirit and every single line that has robbed them of life and of your purposes and plans. God, I thank you for your incredible answers. In Jesus' mighty name, in the church of God, with incredible faith and with incredible hope, you've all cry out to God saying a mighty amen and amen and amen.